0: Well, you know what? I'm excited about tonight. I always am. But uh, truly, truly, because in um, this whole series that we're dealing with, is really it's the best thing that we can possibly do in this life and the life to come, which is eternal life, and it's about having communion with Christ. Being able to um, have relationship with Him. And that's really what we desire, isn't it? More and more we want to be closer to Christ as we know who He is. We want to know everything about Him. And then, you know, when, when people uh, come together, when you meet a person and, you know, you see each other, maybe you talk with each other, you want to know where they're from and what they're about. Uh, you know, you ask questions, people tell you, and you learn as time goes on and you become as far as relationships with people. And, of course, with the Triune God, which is what we've been dealing with, is, uh, of course, it's communing with the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each one of them as individuals, yet one God. And, of course, most of you guys have known, down through the years, I uh, I like to get on high doctrines, such as justification by faith. and uh, Of course, uh, you think of... Uh, God and His justice and His holiness and His righteousness—you know the the high view of God that we always want to push—and sometimes I've been so heavy on that. You know, you even think of um, uh, the wrath of God. <laughs> All those are biblical, and they must be taught. But we also have to be thinking about the love of God, and of course, we really love to consider that too. And that's really what we're dealing with. And once you get out of here, it's, it's like, wow, it's like a little breath of fresh air that you, you take with you a little bit. Hopefully that's the way it's been with you guys. It's It has been with me anyway. And uh, Of course, we looked at uh, the Father a few weeks ago, and now we we started the one with uh, looking at the Son of God, holding communion with Him. And it was really about his personal grace that we looked at last week. We have a relationship with him, but his personal grace is like his attributes, his characteristics, what he's about, his excellencies, his beauty, his majesty, right? And so that's what we dealt with as we first started uh, our relationship with the Son of God, Christ, last week. And this time it's going to be dealing with the conjugal relationship or the, the marital relationship that we have with the son. And that may sound kind of strange, um, but yet we know biblically that, yeah, the church is the bride of Christ, and we know a few of those verses, but the more that you look at it, look starting with the Old Testament and then the New Testament, and you really realize the reality of something that is coming. There is a wedding supper. You know, right now we see as ourselves as betrothed to Christ, engaged to Christ, and it will be forever with him, but there will be one day where there will be this great wedding. And, you know, I think a lot of people look forward to weddings, whether they're going to it or whether they're they're in it, they're really excited, right? Uh, at least I know women are. Now, guys may not be as excited about weddings. And I have to admit, I never used to like to go to weddings. It just was not the thing that I really enjoyed, but you know, you go anyway. Uh, But I find out that ladies really like weddings. and They like it so much that they have tissue, and they they cry, and they're laughing. (laughs) Time of rejoicing. But um, really, When you think about it weddings really are a picture of christ and his church because that's really what it's all about the relationship that you have in a marriage is one thing it's it's a it's beautiful and it is a picture it's really looking ultimately to what the reality is in eternal life uh, christ and the church so that's why I'm excited about this this whole series and the Scriptures that we're going to use tonight. He's married to us, and we to Him. And we know that, but yet it seems kind of far-fetched. It seems kind of strange, but this kind of fellowship is telling how close that we have a relation with Christ. Why don't we uh, pray? Father, we thank You, and as we uh, look at Your Word tonight, you just speak to us as you always do through your word through the power of your spirit that we can understand such an immense doctrine and may we be able to get much out of this so that we uh, give much to you what an amazing doctrine this is in Jesus name Amen you know you really don't hear a lot if you, you haven't heard a lot from me, you have some over the course of the years and we're dealing with that passage we'll hit on but you've never seen where we've really talked about how we are married to Christ We haven't talked about that that much so the first part here where we have two parts here tonight a marital relationship that's what we have with Christ we're going to prove that we're going to use Old Testament scriptures and New Testament and show those passages where Christ is dealing with Israel, or God is dealing with Israel as a husband, we see that being fulfilled in the New Testament with Christ and the church. So that's what that is all leading to. So Christ is a husband to the church. He's our husband. We're we're betrothed to him. He's like a husband. That's a pretty close relationship. That's as close as you can get Whenever people get married, right? That's as close as people can get as far as having a relationship. Okay, in Song of Solomon, chapter 2. Now, Song of Solomon um, most often is to be taken, I think there. Uh, sometimes it's, it's used as an analogy too much, and it's just showing that it is Christ and the church. And there are pictures of that, no doubt about that. But to interpret that way, I think goes against the grain of interpreting any kind of Scripture. Um, First of all, we have to see that this was a relationship between Solomon and his wife. And it's also how uh, husband and wife are. Of course, it's been kind of testy down through the years. But we're going to use it a little bit loosely sometimes when we use some of these verses, and uh, I'm not going to use a whole lot. John Owen, who we're adapting this from, used the Song of Solomon through here quite frequently. And he takes liberty in his interpretation of that. I uh, I don't want to break the rules of uh, hermeneutics in making it just an analogy and it not being reality and and uh, and a pattern and an example. But um, I definitely can see how this can help us see our relationship with Christ. So in Solomon. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 16. This is called the Song of Songs sometimes. The Canticles sometimes. I don't uh, and everybody knows this. All the uh, plaques that you used to see at Alpha and Omega Christian Bookstore. His Beloved is Mine and I am His. You know, my Beloved is Mine, right? And I am His. You guys are familiar with that, right? Think about it. Take that apart. My Beloved is Mine. My Beloved is mine, and I am His. He owns me, I own Him, in a sense. I mean, that's working both ways, isn't it? So, um, that's a powerful passage, and you've probably heard it quite frequently. He is mine, I possess Him. I have interest in Him. He's my head, He's my husband, I am His, Possessed of Him, owned by Him, given unto Him, were owned by Him. And quite an incredible kind of relationship, isn't it? And that's that's in a good way. So in Song of Solomon, of course you'd be talking about Solomon and his wife there, his bride, that kind of thing. My beloved is mine and I am his. Uh, that's the way uh, that kind of relationship works. Now let's go to Isaiah 54. We belong to Christ. He belongs to us. He is ours, isn't he? He's our God. We are his. He owns us. And that's not a bad kind of connotation. That's good, isn't it? I'm glad he owns me. That means he's my Lord. And we are glad he can he can do what he wants. Verse five, Isaiah fifty four five. For your husband is your maker. Okay. our husband is our creator our husband created us he made us he's eternal we're not he made us whose name is the Lord of hosts and look at this this is the Old Testament but what is the word here and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel So the husband is the Lord of hosts, he's the Redeemer, who is the Holy One of Israel, who is called God of all the earth. So Christ, the Son of God, is our Redeemer. Of course you could you know the Triune God is involved in this. Triune God is the creator, but Jesus Christ is the creator. He made us. And whenever He made us, do you know He had us in mind that one day we would be His and living with Him forever? so that we could have a, a a most ultimate relationship with? That's really what that's about. That's an incredible verse, isn't it? Have you looked at that verse before? Your husband is your maker. He made you. He redeems you. And who's the redeemer? Of course, that's Christ. He bought us out of what? Audrey, do you have something? Well, I just- Yeah, what do you have? Well, just, it's, it's a little different. Go ahead. My maker is my husband. Oh, okay. Just the other way around. Right. And that makes you think the same thing, but, yeah, yeah, my maker is my husband. My husband is my maker. Yeah. You really like that one, huh? Yeah. Is that a favorite verse? It is. Alright does us good. Some of these I've, you know, like I've read before, but I just didn't think that much on them at the time, and then come back through. But this is the reason why the church shall never ever be ashamed, Um, not confounded at all. Um, With all the troubles and trials that life can bring, you know, all the different situations that we have that don't go our way, yet, at the same time, we are married to our Maker. He does care about us, doesn't He? He's my Redeemer. Let's go to Isaiah 61.10. Staying in Isaiah. Isaiah had a lot to say about the Messiah. The most messianic book in the Old Testament. 61.10, I like this. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord my soul will exult in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He closes. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. And he compares it to this. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So what do we have? The bride, bridegroom. Same kind of relationship going on And He's the one who clothes us. He gives us everything that we need. Uh, This dealing with garments of salvation, the robe of righteousness. So when God looks at us, what does He see? He sees righteousness in us. It's Christ's righteousness, not ours, but it's Christ that's imputed to us. He is a husband to us, taking care of us, clothing us, wrapping us, And he's finally decked with a garland. The bride has her jewels. He will make sure that we have everything that we need. Everything that we would ever even imagine. It goes beyond that. So what a condition it is. Let's go to Isaiah 62.5, just the next chapter. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Just like a bride and a bridegroom here how the bridegroom does rejoicing over the bride, He will rejoice over us. Powerful. What a condition. So, that's... Few passages dealing with the the husband to the church. Um, let's go to Isaiah or Hosea. Hosea two nineteen. This is the engagement. You know, betrothal. Remember Mary and Joseph and Joseph Joseph and Mary were betrothed or what? Engaged. So right now you can say that we are engaged. Engaged to be married. Hosea I have two nineteen. Yeah. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion, and I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. What kind of promises are these? That's what you know. A bride and a bridegroom do—they promise, right? They, and of course, all of our, our relationship with Him is really—it's based on what He does for us, what He's done. So He will betroth to me His righteousness, His loving kindness, His mercies. Um, Oh my God. 2 Corinthians 11.2 Now we go to the New Testament. Paul uses this analogy. Paul knew all about it. He knew the Old Testament, didn't he? Verse two: For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Speaking to the Corinthians, Paul is. For I betrothed you to one husband. Okay, what is Paul betrothing them? Well, Paul is the one that brought the gospel to the Corinthians, right? So, in in one way, you know, it's like that's he has a, a special relationship with them, as he's the one who brought the gospel. They became believers because of his his message. So that to Christ I may present you as a pure virgin. He's still taking the analogy that the church is the bride, though, isn't he? And he's the one that's kind of like bringing them to the husband, to Christ. He's a matchmaker. And a pure virgin. What's so that? Was he the matchmaker? So betrothed. Yeah. <laughs> betrothed actually means the promise. So that's what Paul's saying, is that he promised them. To one husband to Christ, and they kind of didn't follow through too good. So here he's kind of yelling. At them. And so yeah, that's right. That's what there's a correction here going on, and he's reminding them who they're married to, and who, what their relationship is, and because of that, and see they were getting uh, they were being deceived. Verse three says, "But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness." Your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So, simplicity, purity, relationship with Christ, devotion to Christ. Are oh, we devoted to Him, right? So, and that's what He was concerned about. Paul was. Um, definitely should be, shouldn't it? Yep it is you care about each one and how the relationship really is with Christ that's really what it's about it's all yeah it's all about having a, yeah really yeah, really yeah yeah and of course all all marriages that you know uh, earthly marriages they all are, are, you know, they can be very, very good, but at the same time, they're, they all can be um, tested in those marriages, and there will be. And really, what it is, is that, you know, it, it is designed to make us stronger. Two people usually are, you know, they're different from each other, and there's an adjustments that have to be made through, but he, he's teaching us in, in that sense, isn't he? And, and really, the closer we get to Christ, the closer that the, the two. Anyway, a relationship where Christ is exceedingly delighted. He's delighted. Not only are we delighted, but we've, we've been seeing this all through. He's delighted. And He wants us to see Him in His glory. He's delighted because we get to see in who He is. He takes poor, sinful souls, <laughs> everybody's a sinner, right? Takes them, and He brings them into a relationship with Him, into the gladness of, of His heart. Um, look at John 3.29. This is John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is kind of representing the Old Testament. And... There is the New Testament people that are coming. Think of the church here. And John the Baptist says, Hey, I'm not the Christ. I've been sent ahead of him. In verse 28, here's 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. Now, Christ is the bridegroom. Who's the bride? Well, it's his people, it's the church. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Now in one sense, we know that John the Baptist is going to be a part of this in the eternal state. But as far as what's going to be happening, the church is going to be coming into play here in, in a new way, a new covenant. John the Baptist doesn't really get to get in on that scene. And so he's considered, he's calling himself here the friend of the bridegroom, the bridegroomsman. So it wasn't like he's going to be a part of the church as it's going to be known very shortly, very soon, right? And so, but that doesn't exclude him from, <laughs> you know, the, what, the, what the church gets. But look at the joy here that's involved here the bridegroom stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. And he says, he must increase, I must decrease. So he knows there's going to be a wedding. There's going to be that kind of relationship and he's rejoicing over that. How much more then must be the joy and gladness of the bridegroom himself? as he takes in his bride, which long before the foundation of the world, he already had this planned out. Mm-hmm. But it will happen for us. Do you just so. kind of insight one about just having to have, to be able to say that? Oh, yeah. To understand that the two times coming together, that together? Exactly. Well, this takes us to Zephaniah, which it seems like every week we do this one. But it ties in so well. We were speaking about God the Father, but Christ also is in on this, isn't He? The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. We've just seen those passages, haven't we? He will be quiet in His love, (laughs) <laughs> he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy he will quiet all the crazy craziness but yet he will rejoice with shouts of joy with loudness of joy with singing my version um, didn't say singing said shouts of joy but other versions say what mine says he will exalt over you with loud singing loud singing there we go So, quiet, but loud. I like it. I like that. He rejoices with joy. He joys with singing. And here's the interesting thing. We go to D now, under 1. With joy, He travails for the sake of the poor sinner. All are sinners before Him, but it's this relationship he has such gladness, such, such joy here, and He takes poor sinners in relationship with Himself, which they do not deserve, and He rejoices in it from with those thoughts right on into eternity. Throughout eternity, He rejoices that way. Look at Proverbs 8.31. This is one we've used every week also. This brings Christ into play again as He fulfills this. Psalms, Proverbs 8.31 Rejoicing in the world, His earth, and having My delight in the sons of men. Verse 30 says, Then I was beside Him as a master workman. This is speaking of the Son of God, second person of the Trinity. And I was daily His delight. Christ is the delight to the Father, rejoicing always before Him. And then look at this. Rejoicing in the world, His earth, and having My delight in the sons of men. He delights in His people. He always expresses the great willingness to undergo the hard task of what He had to do to get us Hebrews 12.2 said He despised the shame. Remember that? There was a race set before Him, and no matter what He had to go through in this race, which meant the cross, it's all about that. That's where everything goes back to. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It is finished. The work is done. He sat down right hand of God. But the joy was set before Him, and that means joy is much more than... Wow! <laughs> you know, just laughing. The joy... It, he wasn't laughing whenever he knew the reality of the cross was hours near. And of course, He was praying at the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And He was on His knees praying in His sweating blood. And you think of that, that was travail. And then actually to get on the cross and die for our sins. Because we're such sinners, He's the only one that can pay for it. How much does He love us? Everybody knows that. Well, He died on the cross. Now think about it. When He took this as a joy because He knew that it was all worth it because this was His plan to take miserable people like us, all people are miserable, they're wretches, and He redeems them. And they live with Him for eternity. That's incredible, isn't it? Ephesians 5.25 says, Because He loved His church, he gave Himself up for it because He loved the church. Ephesians 5 is really about what? Christ and His church. The bridegroom and the bride. What an analogy. Um, the next one is E. Christ sets out His whole communion with His church under this analogy. And this is where it's all hitting. It's going to be a marriage day. We're betrothed now. Let's go to Revelation chapter 19. We've gone here before. This is bringing it into real reality. Let us rejoice and be glad. Give the glory to Him. Why? This is where it's all coming in, folks. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The righteousness is what? Christ. We will put on our robes of righteousness. Remember that little song? The robes of right—it's—it's what—it's our righteousness. Yeah, it's ours, but it wasn't our righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness, right? Then a nine. Then he said to me, "Right, blessed of those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb." Remember John the Baptist? And <laughs> he said to me, "These are true words of God." And I fell at his feet to worship Him. But he said to me, Do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours, and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What you're having there is um, a messenger giving him this message where John is seeing this, and this will happen. This will be the ultimate. I mean, this is the concert of the ages. Whenever the marriage supper of the Lamb and the church happens. This is what we're geared for. And just like a bride who is waiting to get married, they get all excited, right? I guess so. Nervous? (laughs) Well, I don't think there's anything to get nervous about here. This is what we're waiting for. This is why it's all worth it. Because then, from there on, we will be wedded, married to Christ. And you say, how can we be a bride whenever we got guys here? You know, and we're going to be a bride. That's hard for a guy to kind of accept. And then you get to thinking about it. Oh, this is all a little picture that we have here. Male and female, but to be married to the Son of God, and to get every benefit that He gets as uh, as being the Son of God, who is God. Wow. The entertainment is the wedding supper. What are we going to be eating? <laughs> that's another guy. <laughs> That's what our excitement is. <laughs> be nothing like we've ever had before. Matthew twenty-two, 3. Isn't this exciting? And He uses a parable here of, of the marriage feast that is to come. God gives a an invitation to people. They're invited and, and they don't show up. And He sent out His slaves, servants, slaves, to call those mm-hmm. who had been invited to the wedding feast and they were unwilling to come of course they're representing who the servants here who are they representing in the old testament the prophets so it says he sends out more prophets what happens to those slaves those prophets they're killed or they don't want to go they don't want to have any part of it right um Look in verse 4. Again, He sent out other slaves saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared My dinner. My oxen and My fat and livestock are all butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. God is inviting people to the wedding feast. They don't want to come. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them the king was enraged and he sent his armies and destroyed those murders and set the city on fire. Kind of gives you the idea of Jerusalem, which was later burnt down by the Romans. Right? Um, then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Now, go to the main highways, as many as you find their invite to the wedding feast. Uh, the highways and the byways, go out and get to the ones who would be considered to be the ones, the outsiders. Those slaves went out of the streets, gathered together, all they found both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. Of course, you got one man who's not dressed in wedding clothes. You know, There's no righteousness of Christ. This is all a parable. It's not something that is happening in reality, but it does give us a picture that people are invited to this wedding feast and they don't... They don't know. one shows up and he was you know he was just yeah that's right <laughs> he was a wedding crasher yeah, isn't that a movie <laughs> okay the graces of his church are the ornaments the graces Jesus has graces to give us. Are you experiencing them now? are you experiencing his graces? would say if you're His, yes you are. There's more to come. Starting at verse 9, King's daughters are among your noble ladies. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. Kind of reminds you of what was happening in England a couple of weeks ago. You couldn't miss it. You turn on the TV, what did you hear about? The, wedding. the, the royal wedding. This is a royal wedding here. But uh, there's a lot of analogy here to the king, the bride, groom, and the bride. Listen, old daughter, give attention and incline your ear. Check this out. Listen, examine this. Forget your people in your father's house. (laughs) There's something better. Then the king will desire your beauty, because he is your lord. Bow down to him. The daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is interwoven with gold. She will be led to the king in embroidered work. I mean the best of clothes I could ever imagine. She will be led to the king in embroidered work. The virgins, her companions who follow her will be brought to you. They will be led forth with gladness and rejoicing. They will enter in to the king's palace. do you like that? Anyway, let's go on to uh, part two. Ready? Okay, now we're going to be inquired. Okay, we've got the title here. How is it that we have communion? How do we have these wedding relations and affections with Him? How is that? Well, there's a mutual resignation. That means mutual means both, doesn't it? One resigns to the other, the other resigns to the other. That means one gives themself to the other, the other gives themselves to him. A mutual resignation. Giving one to another, Christ makes himself over to us, to our souls. Think of his love, think of his care, think of his tenderness as a husband. I think of Ephesians five, where it talks about husbands love your wives, and and of course, as Christ loves the church, well, he has the ultimate love, care, tenderness. He's one not to be afraid of, right? A loving, tender obedience. In Hosea 3, three it says, Poor harlot, this is really what Christ is saying to us, I have bought thee unto myself with a price of mine own blood, and now this is that which we will consent unto. I will be for you, and you shall be for me, and not for another. We will be His. He will be ours. Right? Wow, I mean, well, this sounds like a marriage, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, A, Christ makes Himself over to us to be His as a husband. Okay, He gives Himself to the soul. Okay, think of what He's given. And we we talked about this last week, His excellencies, the beauty, the majesty, the the glory, the righteousness, the the preciousness, the, the graces, all of those things. And He's giving those to us. He's giving Himself up to us. He's our Savior. He's our head, the head of the church. He's our husband to to dwell with us forever. And so He looks upon the souls of the saints, the believers, and He counts them fair and beautiful. He's made them so. Look in Song of Solomon 1.15. Now, granted, we're going to take a little bit of liberty here, but I I definitely see how this definitely fits in with where we're at. Song of Solomon is after Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Chapter, what did I say, 115? How beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful you are. So here we go, that last line, I'm not going to read it. You're going to say, what is that? Your eyes are like doves. Okay. Uh, we could go in and explain all that. We're saying this is absolutely absolute beauty. And so this is the husband. This is Solomon saying to his wife. But this is a husband saying it to, uh, any husband saying it to any wife. This is also Christ saying to us, because we've already seen these things as he, sings over us and we're beautiful to Him because of His work in us, right? The souls of the saints are very beautiful. Not because of us. Because of Him. We're perfect because of His comeliness. Yeah. What's that? In him. Yeah. In Him. All in Him. Because He is righteousness. He is the Lord our righteousness. Uh, what is it? The Lord said Canu. Canu. Um, Yahweh said, Canaan. Jehovah said, Canaan. The Lord, our righteousness. When He says our righteousness, He's saying we have that, not on ourselves. We're not bragging. It's we're bragging about Christ. That's all the only way we could have any righteousness. There's nothing in that. I don't know. The Lord, our righteousness. That's Jeremiah 23.6. Uh, uh, twenty-three six. Is He the wisdom of God? When you look at Proverbs, you see that Jesus is the wisdom of God. He's also the power of God. My beloved is mine. Whenever we have Christ, what do we have? We have His righteousness. We have His wisdom. We have His power. Look in 1 Corinthians 1.30. Speaking of Christ. When we have Christ, this is what we have. But by His doing, verse 30... You are in Christ Jesus. How are we in him? By his do- by our doing? By our good works, by being doing a good thing? No. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, Jesus who became to us what? Wisdom from God. Here's the husband giving us wisdom from God and then righteousness. Where does the righteousness come from? From God, from Christ. And sanctification and redemption. So, just as written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord because it comes from him. We're in him. But he gave us wisdom, he gave us righteousness, sanctification, redemption, power, everything that we need. My beloved is mine. Everything that he has, we get. When a husband and wife come together, they sign on that line, whatever it is the husband's really. The wife's, whatever is the wife's, is the husband. Doesn't always work that way, but ultimately, in Christ, we get it all. It's incredible. Incredible. Matter of fact, eternal life has already started. You're a believer in Him, right? Isaiah uh, 45. Back to Isaiah again. 45. These are promises, aren't they? That are reality now and many things to come. Is it worth it to stay a Christian? Isaiah 24-25 20, They will say of me only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to Him and all who are angry at Him will be put to shame. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. Start with the nation of Israel, but also we see the fulfillment, we see the, the believers in the New Testament time period, we're taken into that too, Were justified. And look at this, will be justified and will glory. This was written 700 years before Christ, but who is it speaking about? Only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. It is God, but we inherit all that through Christ. So, He bestows Himself upon us. He's our beloved. It's a marriage covenant never to be broken. Marriage covenants can be broken, but His will never. This is the sum that's all intended. The Lord Jesus Christ, this is what John Owen said, fitted, and prepared by the accomplishment and furniture of His person as mediator to go between sinful man, holy God, Jesus comes in as mediator, and the large, look at this, the large purchase of grace and glory. We're saved by what? Grace. To live for His glory and our glory also, which He has made to be a husband to His saints, His church, tenders Himself in the promises of the Gospel to them in all His desirableness. When He has those excellencies, the majesty, the beauty, all the glory, all the sum of that, do you desire Him? How can you not? I mean, this is it. This is the sunum bonum. I mean, it makes everything in this earth, on this world, look pitiful compared to him. And convinces them of his goodwill towards them. He came in and convinced us. As we held on to the world, he's the one who wooed us by the Holy Spirit to desire him. Because we didn't have that in our hearts to do it. He convinces us of His goodwill towards us. He's not one to be scared of and His all-sufficiency for a supply of their wants. And upon their consent, which is all He requires or expect, expects at their hands, He engages Himself in a marriage covenant to be theirs forever. It's a long sentence, but this is John Owen. <laughs> They have titles that are longer than some of the books that we have today. <laughs> so that's one aspect, and we're, we're finishing this up right here. Christ makes Himself over to us, and then what is B? The church gives itself wholly to Christ. He give, If He gives everything of Him to us, then was expected in a relationship? The other. It's not a 50-50, it's all. It's 100%. On the part of the believers, It's they consent to receive Christ, embrace Him, submit to Him as Jesus, as Lord and Savior. All those who... What is it? You think of Romans 10. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means Lord of your life, that He's King of the universe and He's Savior, then you should be saved, right? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved to abide with Him. That's what it's about, to live with Christ. That's what married people do, don't they? They live with each other. The liking of Christ for His excellency and His grace... One more Song of Solomon here. Chapter 5, verse 10. Like I say, sometimes we might use this slightly a little more than what it's meant, but maybe not. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 10. My beloved, look at this, look at this. He admires the bride. My beloved is dazzling and ruddy. Outstanding among ten thousand. Okay, speaking of the, this is the wife, right? A, 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 the bride is admiring here, right? His head is like gold, pure gold. His locks are like clusters of dates and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk and reposed in their setting. His cheeks are like a bed of balsam, banks of sweet scented herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping with liquid myrrh. His hands are rods of gold, set with beryl. Jewels, his abdomen is carved ivory inlaid with sapphire. Just taking the most valuable jewels and everything that could be thought of in an everyday kind of living, but things that most people couldn't even afford, and taking those as illustration of how valuable the bride's um, groomsman is, that the bride is saying this. And so we've already seen what Christ thinks of us and how he looks at us, right? Here's how we look at Christ. He's beautiful, isn't he? And of course we could have gone on further, but it's talking about every part of that of, of the body, the, the mouth, the hands, the head, the cheeks, you know, the, the legs, every every part of the, of the physical body that's there we think of, of Christ and how beautiful that he is. Oh, what is it? Verse sixteen. Sixteen. His mouth is full of sweetness, and he is wholly desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O oh Daughters of Jerusalem. You know what? Somewhere I had altogether lovely. Do you have that in yours? Kind of altogether desirable. Altogether desirable. I think that's what I had. wholly desirable. But Bob, you have altogether lovely. The reason I like that is because we have it in a song. <laughs> altogether lovely. We were talking about that last week. Here I am to worship. Right? That is why music to God is the most sacred and holy thing that we can do. Sometimes because we're singing out loud, and then we're singing it out loud with God's other, other people, other part of the right, Right? They're singing it, they're singing it together, and meaning it. You know, He's altogether lovely. He's wholly desirable. He's the chiefest of ten thousand. Did we come across that one somewhere? Anyway, I didn't see it in that section. Is it verse 10? It verse 10? Thank on door. Outstanding among 10,000. Yours says chief, right? Uh, Mine says distinguished. What? Distinguished. Okay, distinguished. distinguished. I think we have a song that we have... A, a, is it the chief of 10, uh, thousands? Or? Ferris Lord Jesus. Yeah, Ferris Lord Jesus. That was what we were talking about last week, too. That's, that's the beauty of Christ, isn't it? it? Really is. So this is what the church does. Um, infinitely beyond any kind of comparison. You know, we can take all those Song of Solomon passages, and and we go, what is that? <laughs> you know. <laughs> but to them, to the Hebraisms were just, you know, that was as far as they could take the language of, you know, you want to express how that is. And, infinitely beyond any kind of comparison of the choices of, the, of all the good, of all the imaginable. And so the church is to do this. And, of course, the soul takes a view of the world. We still hold in it what we think of beauty as. In First John two sixteen and 17, it says this, The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the most prideful life, and we're to see that as vanity. All the things that the world offers, I and mean, compare it against the backdrop that is just a brilliant, amazing beauty and, and the, the jewels of all the world. And you think of it that's much higher than that. That's Christ. And here's, here's the world. The world is dim even the good things that it had. The, the world, it says First 1 John 2, passes away, and the lust thereof. But Christ, look what He gives. Of course, Paul said that He had all of this stuff as His religion was, and, you know, the, and the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, he's the, the Pharisee of Pharisees. You know, he had all of his, these credentials, and it was like trash compared to Christ. Philippians 3.8 What do we do then? Well, John 1.12 says here's where it starts, but also here's where it continues. John 1.12 How do we have this relationship? But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God they're comparing us to children of God. And that's a great analogy too. And we could spend all of our time dealing with that. But tonight, you know, we've been dealing with the bride, a bridegroom. Even to those who believe in His name, they believe, they receive. They trust in Him. And what does that mean? To take Him as Lord, desire to obey Him. Um, all those songs that sing about Him and His beauty, that really means that Here's how we close it. Let us receive Him in all His excellencies. As He bestows upon everything that He is, compare Him as being the the Beloved. Compare Him as being the Beloved and the sin uh, in the world. Compare those two. Take His righteousness and compare it to, to sin that's offered there. Prefer Him above everything. Counting everything that we have that we think is good as all loss. Paul said like, do when we, we compare to Him. We want to be persuaded in His sincerity, His willingness in giving of Himself. If He gives everything to us then, in all that He is as a being mediator, mediator to be ours, then what are, what are our hearts supposed to do? give our whole heart to him and that's the idea of receiving it's not just a one time thing when is receiving him it's receiving his love remember we said you receive love from the father you receive the love As it, can a Christian sometimes reject his love his receiving or not receiving it where to receive it, it's a constant, ongoing, daily thing receiving Him in one sense. In another sense, once you received Him, you received Him forever. But in another sense, there's sanctification. We continue to receive what He's giving us. Submission to. Oh, yeah. Submitted you know, I mean, to. you can hold that analogy of a marriage. If you only heard at the wedding ceremony, I love you, and that's it. <laughs> and you never hear it again. Well, marriage, way. that's going to be, huh? The exactly. Yeah. The yeah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And that's, that's what it is. It's ongoing. And throughout eternity, we'll learn more and more of Him. Even though He knows everything about us. Always has. But we are to give ourselves to Him. And then we enjoy it more. Giving glory to Him. So, I'll tell you what. I don't know about you guys, but it's quite enlightening just looking at those verses and realizing the relationship that Christ has given us to Him. So he, he gives, we receive, and what do we do then? Return. We return the love back to Him. He gives, we receive, we give. He gives, we receive, we return it. What a relationship. It's a two-way relationship, isn't it? Isn't that what a wedding is to start and the marriage goes on? Let's pray in light of this. Bob, could you close us in prayer there? you, Father, for your word and for the study tonight and for the opportunity to draw closer to Christ and learn more about him. Learning how he is a faithful and willing husband. Mm -hmm. People. We are challenged to turn that faithfulness and love, willingness to, to be a to visit to Christ real. That's what all this is. is That is reality. Thank you guys for coming out. I was blessed.